0: All right. Well, here we go with another episode where I have the opportunity to chat with an accessibility practitioner. And today I am speaking with Sharon Morrow. Hello, Sharon. How are you today?
1: Hi, Joe. Happy Friday. It's nice to meet you.
0: Yeah, it's good to meet you as well. We're just coming out of the holiday periods and and I'm uh, in my home office today on Vashon Island, which is near Blink's headquarters in Seattle. Uh, where are you talking to us from?
1: I'm in Minneapolis, Minnesota, also my home office, you can kind of tell. Uh, we've just gotten 15 inches of snow this week, which is excessive even by Minnesotan standards.
0: Well, I i, I think that kind of thing's happening all all across the country, it seems like, but uh, at least we're both uh, here and, and, and warm and dry and we can- And working uh, remotely, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Well, uh, you know, one of the things I enjoy doing with this uh, program is finding out how people uh, made their way uh, in their in their career and accessibility through either, you know, either and or their lived life and work life experiences. So uh, maybe uh, take us back and, you know, where does it start with you where you became aware of accessibility and and started to consider it as a profession.
1: Sure. So I'll just start with my current role is a principal accessibility engineer in the center of excellence at a SaaS company, but I've had a very unconventional career path. Um, I grew up in a very small neurodivergent family in the 70s and 80s. I'm solidly Gen X. I have just two first cousins and the oldest one is the first autistic person that I knew. And He needs a little more support. Uh, My now adult son is also autistic, but he needs less support these days. Myself, I wasn't identified as neurodivergent until I was in my forties. Often a lot of uh, people in my generation who are identified female as it at birth were not, evaluated or screened for autism, ADHD, that kind of thing. So it took until I was in my 40s to get my diagnosis, and things are making so much more sense now. So I've spent a lot of my adult life advocating for my son and advocating for others, and now I'm finally advocating for myself and my own lived experience. But in the in the 80s, in the 70s and 80s, my brother and I were early adopters of tech. We were huge nerds, big Star Wars fans. We had Pong, we had an Atari 5200, we had a Commodore 64. Um, Unfortunately, my brother died when I was in 10th grade and I'd been a good student before that. We were both in gifted and honors programs, but I was grieving and unsupported. So I'm amazed that I even made it through high school at all, but I lucked into a course that really changed my life. And so it was in my junior and senior years of high school, there was a two hour class every day that was part graphic design, part photography. And this is back in the days of the old Macintosh classics, and we called it desktop publishing back then. And so right after high school, as a teenager, I was just turned to 18. Instead of going to college as I'd hoped, I landed a, a full-time job at West Publishing. They're now uh Thomson Reuters. So there I had this interesting job that nobody else wanted. And I was downloading data from bulletin board systems and marking it up in SGML, which was you know the precursor to HTML. So it, that was for a an legal research tool was an early online tool called Westlaw for attorneys. But learning SGML made it really easy to learn HTML just a couple years later. So this was back when the Internet was still being referred to as the information superhighway or the information autobahn. And so uh, that job, I mean, this is the early 90s. Our department made the move from dumb terminals to personal computers. And the staff was in a complete uproar. I was so excited. I was like, oh, we're getting new computers, awesome. Everybody else, this was the first time I realized how uncomfortable some people are with change. And so even though I was barely out of high school, I was tasked with training my coworkers how to use the new computers because I was patient and I was calm and I was energetic and enthusiastic. And this was my first experience with teaching and mentoring but I've always enjoyed sharing my knowledge. So after that, I wound up working in the public sector for a while um, at the state of Minnesota. Uh, there I was a graphic designer and front end web dev through the mid-90s. They didn't even know what to classify us as, as yet. They were like, are you clerical? Are you professional? We don't know what to do with you. Uh, I moved uh, back to the private sector after that. Yeah, I even wanted to do it. Doing... Just ju- oh, yeah. jump
0: in for a second. We sure. already got through a lot of stuff. And I just wanted I <laughs> to check in on a couple of things. But uh, I think you mentioned in high school um, that there was some class or class that you did that sparked yeah. your interest. What was that?
1: So it was a two-hour class every day. Mr. Skunberg, I gotta send him a thank you note. So it was a graphic design class where we uh, were given, you know, film cameras, but we were also doing design on the those Macintosh classics. And we were, we did some offset printing and it was all about communication. And that was my, that's been my interest throughout my career. That's the through line is communicating information to other people. And I really loved that class. It was the only time I perked up during the day was, you know, I could, I, I still am a photographer. That's my hobby, but my career has always been getting information to other people. And that's where that class sparked my love of it. And even though it was like those ancient boxy Macintosh classics, and then we moved on to like, Word Perfect 5.2, and then into the Adobe products, like PageMaker. So I've just been adapting whatever, you know, adopting new products as they come through, like now it's Figma. um, And it's way more collaborative, which I love. So that's, that class little did I know in 1990 that I'd be using figma today and and teaching other professionals how to build uh, their mock-ups in an accessible way but that's how it all like comes together.
0: yeah well it's good to yeah. I hear that uh, you know you're able like to get that boost at that time and and I I, I think you did you mention that then you were, you had your own neurodiversity challenges was that when you were were growing up?
1: Yeah. So I didn't realize what was going on when I was growing up. I just always felt like I don't fit in what's happening. And I was younger for my grade and smaller and, you know, considered a little bit weird always. And it wasn't until much later that I realized like, okay, so I have um, an auditory processing disorder. I'm super extroverted and I like being around people, but large groups of people I find it really difficult to process information or I process information too quickly and I'll finish somebody's sentence and they don't like that. I'm like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be doing that. So a lot of what is going on with me is, you know, similar to people on the spectrum, similar to ADHD. Uh, Technically, I was diagnosed with developmental PTSD and an auditory processing disorder and misophonia. So it made being in the workplace as well, like difficult. So working remotely has been so much better for me to be able to focus with a headset on, focus on somebody who's speaking on zoom. I I miss less this way. I mean, I do enjoy being around other people and going to conferences or being, uh, you know, on site once in a while, but it was very exhausting. I didn't realize how exhausted I was day after day being in the office for, you know, 25 years or however many years I was in the office in a cubicle with white noise and, and bad acoustics, and then the open office just about killed me. <laughs> I remember the old days when I had my own office and I could shut a door that I could focus. And then when I was able to wear headphones, headphones really helped me. But so it's just been the last few years that I've been able to really advocate for myself and what works the best for me. And working remotely is great.
0: And and so then um, as you were, you know, working through uh... And web development, design work. Uh, when when was it that accessibility became uh, something that you you thought you might want to be involved with, or you or you were involved with for your uh, regular uh, work life?
1: Sure. So in the year two thousand, which is hilarious to say now, but I was working at an ad agency, and they had us updating these flash files for the BMW USA website, and I kept pushing back yes, I knew how to edit the flash files, but flash files were not remotely accessible. And it wasn't just for, you know, like screen reader users. It was also, um, you know, back then not everybody had higher speed internet connections. We still, not everyone has higher speed internet connections. So it was a fact of like, okay, you're, you're trying to reach these users and you're using this flash technology that is garbage and nobody can, you know, only a a small percentage, and this is before people got into using analytics to track what users were doing and that kind of thing. Now we have Pendo and a million other tools, but they were just basically designing websites for other designers to look at. It felt like they just wanted to like garner awards. I'm like, don't you think the customer is actually trying to convey information to more end users? And their solution at the time was to have us build out a static text file like that's not the same thing like you're, you you want to give them the product specs but just a text file version and they're like that's not that's not equitable and so after that um you know I was in that role for a few years and then I went to another company that was hybrid kind of ad agency technology web hosting company and I stayed there for 10 years and I loved that company and I was really working to figure out how all the pieces fit together. So I started as a front-end web developer, but I was also a QA tester. I helped the sysadmin team. I wrote bash scripts to automate things, but my love, oh gosh, I also got sucked into security testing. So like, um, yeah, that was not, <laughs> not my, my bag, even though I could do it. What um, my real love was, was again, just conveying that information to the end users. So there I started pushing more for accessibility as well. And I left there to go work for, do you know the company Mm Siteimprove? They have the automated accessibility testing. So I took a role there in 2015. I started out supporting their automated testing tools, but then I became a manual accessibility tester. But I worked also internally with the teams building out the design system for the platform on the um, automated side. So I was there for about six and a half years, and then I left because I was able to find roles that were kind of more in line with the work that I wanna do. And while I was at Siteimprove there, I also started teaching part-time at a local college, a community college in Minneapolis. So I was teaching the basics of HTML, CSS, JavaScript, and design, but with a focus on accessibility and semantics, because so much of that is left out of computer science programs. Like nobody really is yet emphasizing the need for accessibility while they're teaching the, the next generation of you know, computer science professionals. But so in the last couple of years, I've been able to find roles that allow me to utilize the breadth of my experience. So I'm advising designers when they're building out new components and mockups in Figma. I'm working with developers when accessibility questions come up or defects come up. I'm running accessibility training sessions for different audiences. So like an accessibility 100 level for a wider audience, maybe um, salespeople or marketing folks, or even sometimes the computer support, like the first line support folks, then uh, accessibility 200 level for the developers and talking more specifically about React or definition of done, general process, like specific questions. We're also. Um, I'm writing documentation. I'm hosting monthly accessibility community of practice meetings, planning GAD events, researching and procuring new accessibility testing tools. So it's it's a, it's a role that kind of touches every part of accessibility and just really, I, I'm so much more passionate about accessibility than anything else. I've always been excited about the web, but just um, accessibility gets me so much more invested and excited and it it just boils down to wanting to get information to the to the people who need it and so that's why lately you
0: know well, innovation yes, so you oh, yeah, in again. Yeah, yeah um yeah let me just ask you uh, so as you were you know starting to uh do more accessibility specific work um what was the way that you started to you know, learn techniques and issues and how to get past challenges? Um, did you have some mentors or you did you take uh, certain courses or just reading? How did how did you fill that part of your professional self out? Sure.
1: So it's do Improve was really the good starting point because there's so many connections and a lot of folks there, you know, went to CSUN. I, I didn't get to go to CSUN. The last year, it was, you know, COVID hit. That was when I was going to go. But um, I, I've followed a lot of different folks online, on LinkedIn, on Twitter. The, the dis- I love the disability community on Twitter. I'm bummed that Twitter is being ruined and they fired their entire accessibility team. But um, I, I've I've got my CPAC through IAAP and I'm I'm also studying to get my WASP, so then I'll be a CPWA after that. Uh, I just, I, I'm i constantly seeking out new information and trying to get the most accurate read on things. The, the more you learn about accessibility though, the more it's like, oh, I've reached this point, but now there's this tricky question and who can I talk to about this? But there's a, a wide community of folks to reach out to that's been really great. And like, I've got the Paul J Adams bookmarklets. And what really helped was testing, doing manual accessibility testing, and seeing how other developers built templates and built their sites, and thinking back to how I used to build websites for years, like, oh, I shouldn't have built things. that. I mean, in the early days, we were building all of our layouts with table code, which is terrible. And then it was div soup after that. And now it's like, oh, we can simplify and build things in a semantic way. So seeing so much other code really helped me realize how we could do these things in a better way a more effective way a more sustainable way especially something that we can maintain in the future it's been it's been really fascinating
0: yeah well it it sounds like that site improve uh activity definitely gave you a lot of uh, time to work uh time to uh dig into those special skills and then it's uh of course, always good to see people getting involved with the uh, IAAP certifications. Uh, uh, not that I mean we know the we know what we know, but the certifications I think to me are are just as helpful in uh, just uh, helping other people understand that you know that there there are organizations that are there to help kind of guide us and build our profession uh, in you know, just provide a little bit of, uh, uh, extra awareness outside of our profession, you know, in terms of how we acquire our skills.
1: Yeah. And getting certified just gave me a little more self-confidence. I, you know, earlier in my career, I might've had more imposter syndrome, but now I'm like, oh, wait, I did learn along the way quite a bit. And I, I, I do feel more confident in teaching others what I know and trying to share the knowledge. So last year I was involved with there was an accessibility next gen program that folks are trying to get launched. And I'm not sure where it's at this year, but last year I was able to mentor somebody locally uh, and she went on to take her CPAC and pass it. So that was really cool because she's she's more of a back-end dev, but She's trying to become more full stack and incorporate accessibility. She works for the local county here. And so she's, you know, building, working a lot of products that are uh, public facing. So she wants to make sure they're accessible, which is great to hear. So that, I I think we need more programs like that. So what I've been seeing more lately, it's, it's we need to balance. So innovation is great as long as it's done ethically. I've seen a lot of folks having fun with AI and like chat GPT and, and how the intersection of ai and accessibility but i'm concerned less about the you know that seems like the the more fun glamorous side of things the the stuff that i'm more concerned about now is how so much of the web and saas pro- products out there are aging and some content can be migrated but so much out there just it's not accessible it needs to be retired or completely rebuilt with you know simplicity and usability and accessibility in mind and I feel like we need to grow our community with more practitioners who understand the basics of accessibility, like the nuts and bolts of it. And folks like us who can explain to designers or developers, or product owners, project managers, upper management, any stakeholders to give, convince other people to adopt these standards and really shift accessibility left. So eventually it would be great if you know all team members had an understanding of accessibility so they wouldn't need subject matter experts like us. So I, again, I just want to like automate myself out of a job which I used to do um, back in the days when content management systems came around. Like I remember a time, and I'm sure you remember too, when businesses and other orgs didn't think they needed a web presence, that the internet wouldn't catch on, it was just a fad. Like everybody except David Bowie thought it was a fad. I don't know if you ever saw that video of David Bowie talk about the internet. It was fantastic. You can find it on YouTube. But so there was a time when you would ask your friends, Oh, does your company have a website yet? And eventually that became the norm. And then later content management systems cropped up and you know, there was a time when it was unheard of for non-technical staff to publish a web page, like at an academic institution or a business, it was always a technical person, the webmaster or whoever, but then content management systems, you know, became con- commonplace and everybody can publish content to the web now. And then there was resistance to like a mobile first approach, but now responsive design is the best practice and people, you know, accept that. So. My hope is that we'll reach a tipping point where it's generally accepted that accessibility is a must-have to communicate effectively, and that's why I think it all boils down to—is just giving and receiving and sharing information. So hopefully, we'll get to that point. I don't know when. I'm. I can't. I can't look into a crystal ball and figure that out.
0: Well, I, you know, usually around this time in the program, I ask, you know, kind of what people like, kind of summarize things and what they think. Uh, is important, and you just kind of uh, went through a great list there of the things that, uh, uh, you know, know, that you were, you know, concerned and excited about, so it was great to hear that.
1: Yeah, and then one last thing just to say that, uh, you know, I I, I know other folks have said this on the program too, but disability community is not a monolith, but uh, I do feel like more disabled folks need to get hired into these positions and we we just need to be you know the whole nothing about us without us there's not enough disabled folks working these days i mean it's getting better i think the pandemic and remote work has improved that for a lot of people a lot of people i know but we can do more and also um more user research more actually talking to disabled folks about like hey how how do you use the web how do you use this app how does this work for you like Shifting all the way left, doing user research, designing, solving actual problems that people need solved. So that's, yeah, that's my
0: yeah. that definitely is, uh, is still a a gap area, and yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree with you that there's you know been improvement in in that area, but I think there's a long way to go in terms of of uh, making sure our foundational research uh, is bringing in as many uh, different people with different experiences as, as possible. and And so there's a lot of work to do in in that area, as as well as the idea of uh, uh, having people on our accessibility teams who have a variety of uh, the challenges that we uh, that we work with. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's another area where we, where I, you know we can do some work in terms of uh, employment.
1: Totally. So I'm hopeful for that. And uh, we'll, we'll see what happens.
0: Well, uh, it's been a pleasure talking with you, Sharon. I appreciate yeah. you uh, taking the time to uh, chat with me today. And uh, I know I will be going to uh, CSUN uh, this year. Are Are you going to it this year?
1: <sighs> We're doing Axcon. I just, it's such oh, a bummer right. that they're at the same time. 'Cause I love them both. But yeah, we're we're big DQ fans. So we're we're gonna be doing XCON.
0: All right, good. Well, uh you know, either I'll see you at an an online event or maybe a physical event sometime in the future.
1: Hopefully for sure. Yeah.
0: Right. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Thank you.